We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome once again to Mel Tucker's Inside Zone, the weekly podcast for the head coach at the University of Colorado. I'm voice of the bus, Mark Johnson, along with uh, Mel Tucker. And we're kind of throwing a curveball at uh, Buff Nation this week. We're going outside the family, if you will, kind of, I guess, when you think about it, Mel. We're not having a buff on, but but he is a Pac-12 guy, right? Yeah, Yogi's a Pac-12 guy. <laughs> he's one of the coolest guys I've ever met, man. He's got he's got great swag, man. And sure. He, I mean, he's just he's got the, he's the whole package, and... I'm glad that he's on with us today. Well, and we're talking about Yogi Roth from the Pac-12 Network. The reason he's got swag is because he's a wide receiver. I mean, those guys are divas, right, Yogi? <laughs> yes, we are. But, hey, I would like to think that uh, I kind of learned from – or cut from the same cloth as your receivers. No block, no rock. <laughs> you know, they, they threw it to Antonio Bryant and Larry Fitzgerald much more than me, which – Makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, we'll kind of give for fans who have obviously seen you on the Pac-12 Network many times. You're you're a Pitt guy. You played for the Pitt Panthers, but give us some background so folks kind of know where you came from. Yeah, sure. You know, I kind of grew up in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. Uh, interesting upbringing for sure. Mom's a refugee from the Middle East. Parents were deep into Eastern philosophy. My name is Yogi. Uh, you know, we didn't necessarily fit in our community. Um, you know, in terms of just the stereotype, I guess you would say. But I always say that sports and play gave me and my life direction. Kind of grew up doing everything. My brother's an actor. Uh, we all had to act. We had to play music. You know, parents are both in the arts. You had to be, you had to, you know, be evolved. You know, you had to do, yeah. try different stuff and get out of your comfort zone and bomb on stage and all the things that kind of happen as a young kid. 
Uh, and with the name Yogi, obviously, it wasn't the most comfortable of situations as a kid, but I just always turned to sports. <laughs> and uh, just chip on the shoulder, tried to outwork everybody, and uh, felt that I could play at the highest level and, and wanted to take a shot at it and kind of just went for it. So that's kind of been probably a theme, I guess, for my life. Nothing's, nothing's been through the front door. It's usually to the side. i got to swing in off of a tree, you know, just find my way into the party, and then fit in once you get there. Hey, Yogi, tell us a little bit about um, – <clears throat> your time at Pitt and maybe the recruiting process and the coaching staff and just your overall experience there. Yeah, it was, it was a life changer. Like I think it is for everybody. You know, yeah. my, my town is 2,500 people, no stoplights. The only thing that really existed is, was high school football. Yeah. Um, but the also thing that other existed was nobody, you know, even my family, nobody was like, yeah, go play big time football. It was like, yeah, you go, go ball out at a D3 school or right. you know, I was going to go to Princeton when I was in college because I had good grades and they ended up firing their coach. And I kind of learned early on, in high school, like that's a thing. And when a coach gets let go, you don't always have a spot. And there was this little thing that was inside me that said, if I watch a game and back in the day, it was Thursday night football was, was like Monday night football in the NFL for college. I was like, yeah. if I watch a game on Thursday night and I didn't give it a shot. I couldn't live with myself. Sure. So I wanted to, I wanted to play big time football. My, my dream was to play at Notre Dame. I went out there for camp. There was two receivers. It was me and a guy named Ronnie Rodimer, who was six foot four, about two thirty. He looked like Randy Moss out of West Virginia. And then there was me, barely five eleven. Uh, and we and I would just cut in front of him in line every drill. It was Bob Davy and Urban Meyer were there. Wow. And at the end of the camp, of course, they offered him, which I get now, having been in business. <laughs> but I was like, I outperformed this guy. What do you mean? My four six forty isn't good enough. Uh, they passed, and as pathetic as this sounds, that day, guys, I said. I'm going to go to whatever school plays Notre Dame. Hmm. And wow. uh, I went and walked on a pit. I knew their receiver coach. He was a walk-on. And my whole thing was I got to get one guy to believe in me. And I got one rep day one, one rep day two. And then eventually I played in game two of our season as a freshman and got a scholarship after starting as a sophomore. Kind of had that traditional walk-on story you yep. see sometimes with you know wide receivers that aren't the fastest or the biggest. Uh, but it was just one of those things that I, I learned early on that, and I still believe this, that it's – it's harder to earn a scholarship in college than it is in high school, and I'm really mm. proud that uh, I was able to, to earn one. Yogi, rumor has it uh, during your time at Pitt, you had some pretty amazing roommates. My freshman year and sophomore year was Antonio Bryant, wow. and they put me with him to basically teach him the offense and make sure he went to meetings on time, <laughs> which I didn't get at the time. But it was also, and, and you guys appreciate this, you know, coming from the middle of nowhere and you know the background I had, Antonio. He was from, you know, Northwestern High School in Miami. Right. And our first night together as roommates, we stayed up till 3 in the morning and just learned about each other. And, and one of my favorite phrases is we all speak ball. And it doesn't matter where you come from, if oh. you have money, if you don't, if your parents are a refugee or they're from Haiti. Like, it doesn't matter. You can connect through play. And that's what we did that night. And he went and won the Blitnikoff, and then he left. And I was like, okay, now it's my turn to start. And uh, that lasted all about two weeks in training camp until – Number one, a scrawny guy from Minnesota named Larry Fitzgerald kind of <laughs> made every catch you could imagine. And then they roomed me with him to basically teach him the offense and take my job. So I'm a good trainer, I guess you could say. Wow. Uh, Yogi, did you have uh, – what were your aspirations like in, in terms of the NFL? You know, you um, – obviously, you know, you're you're playing at a high level. You're playing with some really good players, Bolitnikoff winners and things like that. You know, what was what was your uh, your take on the NFL? You know, coach, it's the only and I I wouldn't call it a if there was another word for regret. I would I would use that now because without the path that I've been on, I wouldn't have met my wife and of our family and all those things. But when I was in college and I, and I say this 
not disparagingly to the staff that I was with, but because I think it's important for coaches to hear. Yep. I was never even told that guys like me were on every NFL roster. You know, I didn't learn that until Coach Carroll told me that when I was coaching at SC with him. And he said, hey, man, how come you didn't try? Like, you would have played. And then a scout from the Ravens came in the next week and said, hey, how come you didn't try? We had you on our board. Hmm. Yeah, I would have been a free agent. But that, that cut me pretty deep because I didn't even know. Yeah. You know? And, and I think my our coaches, I was the classic guy where they said, oh, man, you're going to be our boss someday. You know, there's like the classic coach lines. Yep. You're going to go do great things. Don't coach. Get out of this profession. So I was like, yeah, I got a scholarship. I achieved my goal. Like, let's go see where football can take me outside the game. Um, so I wish I played, I guess is my point, because I know that, uh, you know, guys like me are on every team. And I'd have to get the right fit, and maybe I would have made a practice squad. But I would have loved to have at least gone to one day of a, of a mini camp just to experience that. Yeah, but there is something, Yogi, you know, your story, and there's a, there's a thousand like them. There's something about that chip-on-the-shoulder kind of attitude that, that I'm not going to back down, I'm not going to take no, I'm going to compete no matter what it is. And it, it goes beyond athletics, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, and for I think everybody has their own one. Like, I've loved calling Colorado games. You know, I think of Scotty McKnight and Nelson Spruce, you know, two guys that were all-time leading receivers at that school that a lot of people said no to. And I think of me and we all have our background. You know, the drive for me was pretty simple. It came from my mom's parents because – they were both Holocaust survivors. Hmm. So at eight years wow. old, I would sit across the table and my grandfather would tell me what it was like to walk into a shower and not know if it was gas or if it was water. Wow. He'd let me feel his left shoulder blade that had eight bullet holes in it because he was shot and played dead for two days. You know, my grandmother would tell me about how she came up from school at 12 years old and was told don't go home because her family was axed to death, like literally murdered. Hmm. And she went on the run. So to me, like two-a-days or three-a-days or being told by – and the coaches at Notre Dame that I wasn't good enough was was cool. Like, all right, cool, man. Like, you got what else you got? You know, it's kind of like now the verbiage I would say is like you got to have a no flinch mentality. And uh, I think that was ingrained really early. Of the harder it got, the more I settled in and enjoyed. Okay, I'm dropping on the depth chart. Let's go. Uh, and I've always asked, even as a broadcaster, you know, just give me a chance. Like, if I screw up broadcasting the game Saturday. And the Pac-12 says, hey, you're done. That's cool. I, I got to put the headset on. I could live with that. But I can't live with, hey, man, we're not even going to give you the ball. We're not going to give you one snap or one rep. And that that was ingrained in me really early as a, as a child. Well, Yogi, you mentioned uh, something that, that I've heard um, said several times is, you know, coaches tell players, hey, you know, don't don't coach. Whatever you do, don't coach. Go do something <laughs> with, your, with your life, you know. What uh, what do you think about that? Like when, when you, you heard that from coaches and – and what do you think about the coaching profession? Yeah, it's a fun topic. I get asked all the time by young coaches now. It'll ha it's happened when I've called your guys' games. Yep. You know, the young GAs kind of come up to me and say, "Hey, man, you got out. Like, what's it like? Yeah. You know, um, how'd you do it? You know, because because I get the best of both worlds now. Like, I got to talk to you earlier today to prep for a game. Right. And then whether or not you guys win or lose, I'll be all right. Like, <laughs> you know, I want this to be a great game. <laughs> Uh, but but I didn't I didn't like it at first, you know, because I felt like they were slamming their own profession, which didn't make sense. Right. In the same vein, I saw them sleep in the office every night. I saw them not see their kids, and and, and I, you know, I think as a as a player, you, you kind of see how hard your coaches grind, respect it, and you say to yourself, I'm not really going to do that, because especially if that's your first experience. With sure. That. I think if you grew up in the profession, 
maybe you're like, yeah, that's just like, that's what's up. Like Luke Del Rio, you know, a guy you know, yes. I've along the way. He grew up just watching it. He said he didn't want to do it. Now he's coaching football. Sure. You know, but he's got a great lens on the craft. I think for me, when I heard it, on one hand, it's a compliment, and on the other, you're like, well, why not? Like, I, I think I could be really good at it. And it wasn't until I got around Coach Carroll that I saw the, the brilliance of coaching. You know, I consider Pete a thought leader. Yep. You know, you, you guys, I'm sure you came across each other, but the way yes. you talk about books and things beyond the game is very similar. And I can remember sitting down with him, and he said, yeah, you don't make everything of your kids, but it's about the effort to get there. You know, and you get to inspire and impact and guide and teach and mold and most importantly compete. And I look at it as playing is the best, coaching is the next best, and broadcasting is third. Mm. Just to be around the game. So sure. I love the profession. I've seen the dark side of it, like you. I've seen the beautiful side of it. I love yeah. what you're in right now. Um, I think that there's things I would change about it. I think the you know, salaries are crazy. I think the the fans are nuts. I think sometimes people will like you know get rid of somebody too early. But, yeah, that's, that's what happens in every big-time organization, whether you're the CEO of Apple or you're the CEO of Colorado football like yourself. So that's right. I, I, I'm down with the profession, I guess, is my point. And I encourage people that they love it or they're interested, especially young guys that just retired or just finished playing. I say go for it. Throw yourself in it, and, and you won't regret it. Because too many guys I know that are 35 making 150 grand doing something regretted it and didn't give it a shot when they were 23, 24. So was it the balance of life thing that led you away from it then? You know what's crazy is I fell so hard in love with football and, and coaching, and I still think I'll go back to it. You know, there, there's a world where, like, to me, my dream job would be to be the head coach of Pitt someday and do the Steve Kerr route. So I, I don't right. think I'm done there. That's why I, I coach quarterbacks in the summer and stay around the game. But I left it because I fell so in love with it. When I would watch guys like Coach Carroll or we had an O-line coach named Pat Rule who's still coaching. I know, I know Golden Pat Rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the best. And yeah. what, I, what I learned about those guys, and I would look at them and I'd say, you know, you know every day pretty much of the year and what you can do and what you can't. And as a coach, you know when you can go to the bathroom seven right. days a week for the most part. I mean, you're that dialed in. And my life had been dedicated to the craft so much that I wanted to see the globe. I wanted to see the world, and I'd fall in love with L.A. So if I didn't start in S at SC, if I started at Iowa or Pittsburgh or Ohio State or somewhere else, I'd still be coaching. Right. But I saw L.A., and I fell in love with, with story. I fell in love with the beach. I fell in love with hopping on a plane and going around the globe and coming back and talking to people from all over the world with different accents. So I just wanted to see play on a more global scale. And I, I love football, I think, just as much as – you know, coaches on your staff, I just don't care about second and seven studies in March. I'd rather be <laughs> in Bali or in Africa or in a different part of the world. And that's when I learned, like, okay, go hard for your seven, eight months and nerd out like you would as a coach. I put the same, probably not the same hours, but I, I put a lot into it. And then when it's over, I get to turn the page and, and go do something else. Yeah, I'll I tell you what, man, that's a that's a great perspective on it. Uh, from the the coaching aspect of it, and uh, you know, what was your transition like, like out of coaching and like out of that that realm, and you know, what w what was your next step? Yeah, it was it was definitely not what I expected. You know, I, when I finished playing. I went and I was the uh, sideline reporter for Pitt football games, and I was like, I'm going to be the media. I'm going to be Kirk Herbstreit. And then Pete called me and he said, hey, you want to come join this thing? And I was like, yeah, let's go. I mean, he was rolling at the time. So right. I did my four years there. And then I was going to go with, uh, at the time, Steve Sarkeesian offered me the QB job at UW when he took that. And I was going to be the young guy and, and you're going. And that's kind of the, the role. Yes. And I sat back and I said, 
I don't want to leave the ocean. I don't want to leave the city, as I referenced earlier. I'm going to get back into the media. And there was a guy named uh, Michael Fountain. He still works at ESPN. He, he ran game day for the first eight years. Okay. So he covered me at Pitt. And when I was a player, I used to sit in on the Friday production meetings. I'd meet producers. Yep. And then when we were rolling at SC, they were there. I felt like every game. So we would talk a lot. And when I left, he said, Yogi, tell me about Matt Barkley. We're doing a story on him. And I said, I'll tell you all about him. I recruited him. But you got to put me on air. <laughs> and, he kind of and he goes you've never done tv and i said i know you're right but why not and just like as a player he goes okay this is espn i'll give you one chance and if you screw it up you're done and we'll see what happens if you don't and i said cool bro and i went on college football live with too much hair gel and oversized suit and i answered my three questions didn't get paid and for two years i did it unpaid but he wow. kept me going on that and it gave me a little little kind of gateway into the profession. Fox let me be an analyst. I convinced him I did a four-hour meeting. I wouldn't let, let the executive breathe. I said, you can hire an older coach, you can hire a former player, or you can hire somebody who did both in the last five years because I had played and then, of course, coached. And they said, all right, we'll give you a shot. And uh, it was me and Sam Ponder and a guy named Steve Fiziok. Mm-hmm. And we did games. We did a bunch of Colorado games with Coach Hawkins way back in the day. And, uh, and I got going, man. And that was 11 years ago, which is, which is hard to believe. And here you are on the Pac-12 Network now. Hey, let's, you got a fascinating story, by the way. It really is great. Segway a little bit into kind of the, the Pac-12 and, and Colorado's inclusion. I mean, you know, we're 11 years in now with Utah and Colorado. What's your view of, of how this, this conference has evolved over the course of time? I love it, man. You know, kind of growing up watching this conference and the Big 12 in Colorado, you know, you grew up watching those games and seeing the stadiums on the East Coast. I can remember, like, uh, Dr. Jack Arute, you know, um, he'd be calling games on the sideline, and Jack was a, he's a mentor of mine growing up. And I felt like he was always at a Colorado game, and he'd watch Nebraska. And when this, you know, was, was getting formed, I, I was kind of on the inside because Coach Carroll was talking to Larry Scott. And I was around Pete, and he knew my desire to be in the media, and he got me an early meeting. To, to hear what this network is about. And I got about 10 minutes with the executives and went as hard as I could on give me a chance because I just felt as though if you can get on something special at the ground floor, you got a great chance to grow and evolve sure. and, and be a part of something like a team, right. be a part of something that, that means something. I and, mean, Coach, you've done it. When you talked to us today about it, year one, yep. how many coaches I bet on your staff have been around year one? Not that many. That's I mean, right. year one is special in anything. So I just want to be a part of – year one and be on it. And you felt it from the beginning. Uh, you felt it was special. You felt the inclusion. Uh, I feel like in L.A., when you go to Boulder, it's kind of like L.A., but in the Rockies. You know, so many kids from Southern California go there. That's right. Uh, they're just not surfing. They're snowboarding. So, to me, Colorado was such a natural fit. And, and to be there when it was in the Big 12 with Fox and then watch it cross over in the Pac-12 has been a blast. And, you know, broadcasters, we, we, we play lame games on Friday nights, which is like, what school would you go to if you could do it again? And Colorado is always, you know, number one for the majority of the, of the crew because it, it's such a beautiful place to go. Obviously, we've seen what that home stadium is like. And when it gets rolling, that whole community is behind it. So I, I've loved it. And to me, the Pac-12 Networks has been the greatest gift of my professional career. Yogi, what do you think is um, your mission – uh, like your particular mission and your your role, like at the the Pac-12 network, like what are you charged to do? Like what it when you wake up every day and you feel like you've got assignments, 
you know, what 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 are you what are you what do you what are your goals? Like, what are you trying to get done on a day to day basis for the Pac-12 Network? Yeah, no, that, I can answer that one. Um, I've done a lot of work around that thought. Uh, I spent the last couple of years doing that with, with I think big time thinkers, guys that you would love. A guy named Kevin Carroll, who wrote a book called The Rules of the Red Rubber Ball. Uh, a guy named Ken Black ran innovation at Nike. Jeremy Darlow wrote the book Athletes of Brands too. I, I spent the last few years with them, really, you know, focusing on my voice. Yeah. You know, I think that's the most challenging thing for anybody in any profession is to get to know your voice and then master it. And it's an ongoing process. But for me, when I wake up, uh, my number one job is to seek and uncover the humanity in sports and specifically Pac-12 football. That's my job. Uh, that's how I see the game. Uh, on my call sheet, when I call the game, like yours on Saturday at the Rose Bowl, at the bottom it says the same thing. Every game it says celebrate the game and coach the viewer. And I think that's my job at the Pac-12 Networks. So I want to take people under the helmet of Steven Montez and LaVisca Chanel. They're great players, but tell me about who they are as human beings. I want to get inside the headset. I'll, I'll talk about the books that you read and what you've done with your program, as well as, of course, the X's and O's, which is I'm coaching. I always say I'm coaching my mom. I'm coaching my wife on cover two. Or when you're going to bring a corner pressure like you did last week against USC, yep. i got to explain that in a way that makes the complex seem really simple. Sure. Um, and that's, that's a challenge. You know, I mean, when I think about the craft of saying 250 smart things in 10 seconds or less for a game, I get really intimidated. Mm. That's kind of the job. But then when you're in it, you're so connected to every snap and your love and your passion comes through that you know, my job is just to, to, to feel what I feel and be connected to that moment and the exuberance within it. So I, I think my job is really clear. And, and yeah. what I'm lucky to do is, is call our best games and be on our, our best shows and talk to our best coaches. And, and that's a responsibility. Not, um, it, it's not like I pat myself on the back. I, I take a lot of pride in my job is to represent your program and your fan base, and the game. Because without the game, we don't exist. And I think when broadcasters or coaches think they're bigger than the game, that's when I got no problem with people, you know, getting passed on, you know, yeah, moving on sure. in their profession. I, I just think you can't disrespect it. So, for me, I begin with that. Like, it's, it's a ton of gratitude around the craft, and then dive into QDR as humans, get under the helmet and headset, and celebrate the beautiful game while coaching people watching. It is a unique situation with the Pac-12 Network because you're, you've got 12 entities that you're covering, you're, you're objective about the 12 of them, but then you're a homer in regards to the, the overall conference, aren't you, in some respects? You're, you're promoting the Pac-12 in, in, in large part. Yeah, well, I think anybody who's worth their salt in the profession is, we're promoting a game, yep. you know? And, yeah, like, I get it. Like, we are, the Pac-12 network is a marketing arm for the Pac-12 conference. And ESPN is a marketing arm for the rights that they own. And NBC is a marketing arm for Notre Dame football. Like, the whole world is storytelling and marketing. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not going to go up there if Steven Montez misses on a third down and dirts it. I'm not going to say, like, that was a really good throw. Huh. You know, like, I still have integrity to the game. Neither you know? will I, I by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I think that it was fun. I met up with Chris Collinsworth a couple years ago. And he said he doesn't try to get to know coaches very well because he doesn't want – or players because he doesn't want to know them and then criticize them. Sure. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting take. Sure. And, and I'm the opposite. I want to know you, Coach Tucker, as well as possible because whatever I say Saturday, I'd say to your face, including, sure. like, you got to make a better read when you see cover two. Sure. And whatever it is, like – and that to me allows me to be really free. You know, and, yeah. and hopefully I'm just a reflection of the ideals and, you know, character that I try to display. So I, I want to get to know everybody as, as well as possible. And for our fan base, 
I mean, you could turn on a game. I loved watching your SC game. They showed your offensive lineman, who is a singer, which was great, and Chance Lytle in the broadcast. And we did it two weeks earlier. They stole it from us. And that, that to me, is great. There's no way they knew that heading into the game unless they watched it. So I hope we do that for everybody and go beyond just page one of the notes from Dave Platty. Like, we go through all of them. That's why I come out in spring and training camp. So, That's right. yeah, we're, we are the marketing arm, but it's our responsibility to go deep. And if I'm not giving you details on Blake Stenstrom, I'm not doing my job. And I can tell you more about Blake than any analyst in the country. I believe that. And, and that's what I'm tasked to do, though. You, uh, you, talk, to, you talk about, uh, you know, getting to know players and getting to know the coaches and telling the stories. Um and you, you mentioned the production meetings uh, at Pitt when you were a player. Can you kind of take us kind of behind the curtain to uh, for our for our listeners? You know, what are the production meetings? What are they all about? What do you get out of them? How important are those those deals? Yeah, I I think they're huge. You know, it's, I think some broadcasting teams can kind of mail it in. I've been in on meetings where they ask five general questions and move on, and I think coaches can tell who watches and who doesn't. Right. So to paint the picture, every Friday. Uh, for the home team, we get to go in and go to the office of the coaching staff and sit down with coordinators and the head coach and multiple players, go to practice and really just get to be a part of the program and know what we want to sell and, of course, know some of the schematics that the viewers don't so we can predict things during the game or are not surprised when we see things during the game. And when I saw that for the first time, I remember sitting next to Kirk Herbstreit and it was him and his crew, and I was like, this is really cool. Like, you don't know that stuff as a player, that there's meetings. Mm-hmm. And what I learned really early was that meeting Kirk was the coolest part, but the part that was going to advance my career was meeting the guy I referenced earlier, Michael Fountain. Yeah. And I always tell aspiring broadcasters, go sit in on those meetings, get a couple business cards. And for me, going into those as a kid was huge, and I got criticized. I can remember one of my early games, I had a staff who was at Oklahoma State They were like, hey, man, we, we usually don't spend this much time with broadcasters. And that's when I was like, I know I'm doing something right. Like, yeah. I wanted to be told, like, hey, we got to go, bro. Like, today, hey, we, we got to run it down. We got to shut it down, man. Cool. <laughs> like, if I don't use every every minute, then I'm wasting everybody's time. So we, we try to go in and ask uh, honest questions, hopefully ask questions where you watch football, where Ted Robinson, my partner, has trained me the most, is to ask questions about the games. You know, ask questions about matchups. Ask questions about, you know, this weekend – what do you expect to see against LaVisca Schnell? How are teams going to stop him? Yeah. Uh, so we can call the game and, and tell the best insightful story we can for three or four hours. Yogi, before we let you go here, what, what would you say right now, and we know what the recent history has been in this conference, what is the state of Pac-12 football right now? I think it's, I think it's really competitive, you know, mm-hmm. and I think the numbers are very clear when you look at that. I mean, where we are today right now, I believe it's almost 50% of the games in this conference have been decided by a touchdown or less, which is pretty cool when you think about it, you know, compared to other conferences. You can go all around uh, the country, and and I'll give you the numbers. For the SEC, six of their 34 games this year have been decided by seven or less. So our game, 17, or excuse me, um, 13 of the 30 games have been. You know, so I just look at it, and every week, and we get to call a lot of those games kind of right down the middle of the road because Fox and ESPN will pick off you know, the number one game. You can flip a coin. You know, I can look at every game I've called this year outside of the non-conference and say, I don't know who's going to win. Sure, you know, sure. And we called it, right? It was you guys against Arizona, Arizona State. Yep. I didn't know it was going to win either one of those games. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing, and I think it's going to be beneficial this year 
with the one-loss teams, and it'll be fun. Like part of me hopes that LSU wins and Bama's not playing in the SEC title game, and we have the conversation of a one-loss conference champ played uh-huh. nine conference games yeah. versus a one-loss team that didn't make their conference title. And I just sat on the CFP mock committee a couple weeks ago, and it's not very clear in terms of the direction that they're told to go. Sure. So I hope that happens. I do think that it's, uh, I think it's as competitive as any conference in the country, and the numbers would back that up. Mm. Yogi, I, I could talk to you all day long, bro. Um, I, I've got one last question for you. Um, what is your take um, on the name, image, and likeness uh, deal that we've got going on right now at the NCAA and and uh, some of the legislation and some of the the, the news that came out yesterday? And um, do you do you have you formulated a take on that yet? Oh yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about that one for a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, the first thing, if you said you get to dream up any scenario, I wish that athletes got health insurance for the rest of their life. You know, if you if you played and you lettered, I would love to see that. You know, even prior to making money off your playing career, your name or whatever in college, I was a guy, I broke my neck playing, sure. you know, and I wish, like, if I wasn't at USC coaching and had that health insurance, yeah. I would have been screwed. That's right. And I think that athletes... You know, we often talk about NFL players being broke, divorced on drugs within X amount of years and they're done. Well, there's about 10X college athletes that go through similar things, yep. maybe not divorced, but we all go through the same struggle. So I think from a mental health and physical health standpoint, yep. that would be the first thing I would do. So, yeah, it'd be cool to make five grand off of my name at the local, you know, whatever, you know, sandwich shop. But yep. as you get older, you realize that's nothing. So I start there. Yep. Uh, the second thing is I think right now there's, you know, three players in the country that can make real money. Um, and being a guy in the world of, you know, like yourself, endorsements and sponsorships, yep. it's not like there's so much cash out there. So I, I'm cool with it if guys want to do it. I love that it's a couple of years from now and they're going to have to figure out how to deal with unintended consequences and the recruiting advantages and all the things that go with that. But yep. if it was me, it would be – amp up scholarships, you know, make the scholarship kind of 21st century scholarship, which sounds like that's a theme from the NCAA, and take care of guys when their careers are over. Hmm. I just think it's so hard because coaches, you know, I love listening to you and David Bakhtari on your podcast hmm. saying, hey, man, come around, be a part of this thing. It's hard when there's a lot of turnover and you're three, four, five head coaches removed from when you played. Yep. Program can't stay up with everybody, but I wish that the NCAA was there to take care of people, mental and physical health, for the remainder of their life. That's where I would love to see more money go. So uh, in terms of what just happened, um, something's going to happen, and, and that's a good thing for the student-athletes. Yep. They'll yep. figure out the reasons to, to make it right. Yep, I agree. You you have taken this thing to a whole new area to give us something to think about. Yogi, this has been a lot of fun, man. I appreciate it. We're looking forward to seeing you on Saturday. You got it, brother. Thanks, guys. Thanks, right. Yogi. That is a Yogi Roth from the Pac-12 Network. Hadn't thought about that aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, Yogi's one of the great thought leaders, man, um, in the game today, and uh, you can tell that he's he's uh, he's put a lot into it, and he's yeah. got he's got a strong take on it, and uh, and I'm glad that we we're having that discussion, and we can we can debate it and, and talk about it, and 
And at the end of the day, man, we got to do what's best for these young these young men. Without question, yeah. What what just came out here over the last uh, 24, 48 hours is not the end of this story. It's just the beginning of this story. I think it's going to continue for the next few years here. Yep, I, I, I would agree with that. All right. Hey, good luck on Saturday night at the Rose Bowl. Yep, thank you so much. All right. Head coach uh, Mel Tucker here in the Buffaloes have got UCLA in Los Angeles. Yogi's going to have the call on the Pac-12 Network. We'll have the call on the Colorado Football Network. Gary Barnett, Andy Lindahl, and yours truly getting on things underway at 5 o'clock with the Buffalo Stampede and then the kickoff between the Buffs and the Bruins at 7 o'clock Mountain Time. For the coach, our voice of the boss, Mark Johnson. Thanks for joining us this week on Mel Tucker's Inside Zone. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.